You are listening to the Best in Wealth Podcast, episode number 146. This is the Best in Wealth Podcast, a show for successful family stewards who want real answers about wealth and investing so we can feel secure about our family's future. At the Best in Wealth Podcast, we think differently about wealth and investing, and you should too. Well, hello everyone. My name is Scott Wellens and I'm your host of the Best in Wealth Podcast. Now, this is a show dedicated to helping real people, that is you, my friend, build real wealth so together we can take family stewardship to the next level. I am a certified financial planner, a fiduciary, an educator, a Dave Ramsey smart vester pro, and a wealth advisor. It is great to be with you today. And today's topic is do you have the right investment mix in your portfolio? But before we get to the topic of the day, I just wanted to bring up a couple of quick things. First, have you seen what's been going on with the market this week and this quarter? I mean, heck, the S&P 500 is up almost two and a half points this week, up 21% so far this quarter. There's other asset classes that are doing better than this. But how? (laughs) How can it be? I mean, we're in the middle of a pandemic right now, a recession. Unemployment is close to 20%. There's protests going on all over the U.S. and the market is going up. All of this unrest and the market is going up. How can this be? Well, remember, the market is forward thinking. It's all about future cash flows expected from businesses, not what's happening today. So maybe there's some unrest today and there's a pandemic today and there's a recession today and unemployment is high today, but that doesn't mean it will in six months. That doesn't mean there won't be. It means that the market is forward thinking and it thinks things are going to get better. The news in the market do not follow in lockstep ever. When the market goes up any given day, the media is trying to tell you why the market went up, but they don't really know why. Because remember, the market is smarter than you. And not just you, okay? The market's smarter than me. In fact, the market is smarter than all of the analysts and everyone. The market is smarter than everyone. The smartest people in the world that have studied at Harvard and are in charge of billions of dollars of money, well, they are not as smart as the market. So never forget that. Never let your ego get the best of you when it comes to the market. Let's get to the topic of the day. All right, here we go. Do you have the right investment mix in your portfolio? 
So I want to go over a few things to make sure that you do, and I want to concentrate on just one little section of the market. But first, we're going to talk about not only how the S&P 500 is doing year-to-date, but some other major indexes. And then I want to break up and talk about what is the difference between a large company and a small company when investing. And why would I want to own a small company over a large company? Then I want to talk about what the science has to say about owning smaller companies. And finally, can I time when to own small companies and when to own large companies? So let's start with where we are today, year to date, I told you the S&P 500 has been doing great. Year to date, the S&P 500 is down a little over three and a half percent. But don't be fooled in thinking that if you open up your 401k or IRA, that you're only going to be down 3.5% or so because there's a lot of things going on. First, the S&P 500 is made up of the 500 largest companies in the United States and that's it. If you own any other companies and you should own other companies, well, other asset classes aren't doing as well. I mean, the Dow, for example, which only makes up 30 companies is down almost 8%. Small companies, so different than the S&P 500, down about 15%. And when you look internationally, stocks are down over 20%. In real estate, down about 10%. So the S&P 500 is still down, but not as far down as all of these other asset classes. And furthermore, if you own bonds in your portfolio, depending on the bonds that you own, then you will have a nice balance there and things won't look quite as bad. But I really want to focus on one area of the market. I want to focus on small companies versus large companies. I just told you, large companies are down about 3.5%. Small companies are down about 15%. There's a segment of the small company, small value, that's down 20%. So first, what is a large company... Anyway, a large company, if you count up all of the outstanding shares and multiply it by what the stock price is today in that certain company, and if that adds up to $10 billion or over, we consider that a large company. Think about really big companies, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, McDonald's, Home Depot, J.P. Morgan. Those are really large companies. Now, different than that are small companies. Small companies, you add up all the outstanding shares by the stock price, if that adds up to around $2 billion, sometimes a little bit more, and then all the way down to, let's say, $500 million, and sometimes a little bit less. Now we have a small company. So if you just look at small companies, they're not that small compared to, let's say, your uncle's plumbing company. Unless, of course, your uncle has the biggest plumbing company in the United States, But it still is a really big company worth in the millions and even a couple of billion dollars. 
but when you compare it to large companies, they're much, much smaller. When I said large companies, 10 billion or more, a lot of the large companies are worth hundreds of billions of dollars and not just 10 or 20 billion. So that's the difference, small company versus large company. Now, next I want to get into why would I want to own a small company over a large company? I mean, heck, large companies are only down 3.5%. Small companies are down 15%, some of them 20%. And by the way, all of these numbers that I'm giving you, they are not investments, they're just indexes. That is it. There's nothing that you can invest in, in these numbers that I'm giving you right now. Okay. So why would I want to own a small company? Let's look at a couple of them that are in the same segment. First, a large company, McDonald's. Have you heard of McDonald's before? I think that you have. McDonald's is worth $200 billion. That's a company that I know. That's a company that's been around for decades and decades. I love going to McDonald's as a kid. I love the Happy Meals. I love the playset. I love the Sundays. Tons of great memories. And whether you like the food or not, McDonald's has awesome brand recognition. I mean, they have great systems in place where they have thousands of locations around the world with years and years of positive cash flow. I mean, I can count on McDonald's to sell a bunch of burgers this year, even in the time that we're in, and any regular year. Let's contrast that with a small company in the same industry. Let's use Shake Shack for an example. Has anyone on this podcast eaten at Shake Shack? I have not. I heard it's really good. I went to the website when I was researching this topic today. There's only one in the Milwaukee area where I am, located in the third ward. But Shake Shack sells burgers, fries, sundaes, etc., just like McDonald's. And I bet you, but I have no idea, that the Shake Shack burger probably tastes better than the McDonald's burger. I mean, I don't know. I'm just guessing. But there's not near as many locations as there are McDonald's. They don't have great name recognition. Heck, I didn't even know what Shake Shack was some months ago. I'm sure that their systems in place are not near as good as McDonald's. Why? Because McDonald's has been around for so much longer. McDonald's has sold billions of burgers. I don't think Shake Shack has. In fact, I know that they have. And just because the Shake Shack burger might taste better than McDonald's, that doesn't mean that the business, Shake Shack, is going to survive. It doesn't mean that it won't. But Shake Shack has not been around for very long. But here's what McDonald's has against them right now. It's got to be really, really hard to double in size for McDonald's to go from a $200 billion to a $400 billion company. Oh, man, that's got to be difficult. But think about Shake Shack for a second. Shake Shack 
going from two billion to four billion. Now that seems much more doable. I mean, after all, as investors, aren't we looking for the next McDonald's? And maybe, just maybe, we have it in the next Shake Shack. Now, I don't have any stock in Shake Shack. Well, I might in some of the mutual funds that I own. However, I do not own Shake Shack individually. I'm not pressing for anybody here to buy Shake Shack or McDonald's. I'm merely giving an example. I mean, let's bring it all back to today. Small companies, on average each year, 3% of them go out of business, belly up. And in bad times, that almost doubles to 6%. So when we start looking at these two companies as investments, there's one theme here that I'm trying to get at. Shake Shack is riskier than McDonald's. Shake Shack has more risk of going out of business than McDonald's does. So as an investor, wouldn't you demand a higher rate of return owning Shake Shack versus McDonald's? I would. If I'm going to own Shake Shack, that might go out of business belly up. I want a higher return for my investment. Kind of like if you're going to loan somebody money, let's say Apple is looking to borrow a thousand bucks. You could loan Apple a thousand bucks or as a secondary choice, you could loan your cousin a thousand bucks because he's looking to open a plumbing business. Now, Looking at both of these, they both say, hey, give me the thousand, I'll pay you back in five years with some interest. What are the odds that you have a better chance that you'll get that money back from Apple than your cousin? I would think the odds are higher. So if you're going to give your money to your cousin, you better demand a higher interest rate because there's a higher chance that you are not getting that thousand bucks back. It's the same with owning stocks. Your cousin's plumbing company is is riskier than Apple. Shake Shack is riskier than McDonald's. As an investor, I would demand a higher rate of return owning Shake Shack versus McDonald's. And if I bring this all back into, let's look at the indexes, I would demand if I owned 2,000 small companies versus some large companies that I would get a higher rate of return on small companies. So what does the science of investing say about owning small companies? Well, first of all, I just showed you that it makes sense. The first key to investing is it has to make sense. And I don't know about you, but to me, it makes sense that if I'm going to own a small company, I should get a higher rate of return than owning a large company. But there's more to that when you're looking at data and science. The data that you're looking at has to be persistent. That means that we have to find it in many different periods in time that small companies do better than large companies. 
The science has to be persistent. Next, the science has to be pervasive. It needs to exist across many different markets, not only in the U.S., but on all reliable stock exchanges around the world. And finally, when you're talking about science, the data you're looking at has to be robust. There has to be millions of data points to look at in order to trust the science or trust the research. And what does the science and research show us? Well, it says if we can go back all the way to 1928 and we go to the University of Chicago and go to the Center for Research on Security Prices where all reliable research is done, we can see what the data tells us. And it simply says this, the history of the stock market, large companies average almost 10% per year, about 9.9%. Hey, that's great. What about small companies going back to 1928 through 2019? The data tells us, not an investment, that small companies average 11.94% percent per year. That's a little over a 2% difference between large companies and small companies. That's a big difference, but maybe you don't think that it is. 2%. Let's put that into perspective. Let's say, for example, you have $100,000 that is allotted to invest in small companies or large companies. That $100,000, if you held it for 30 years and you actually got the average since 1928, that 9.92%, that $100,000 in 30 years turns into $1.7 million. Whoa, pretty sweet, right? What about the small companies at 11.94%? That same $100,000 turns into $2.9 million. Almost double your money. Now that as an investor is something I ought to look at. Wouldn't you? A chance to double my money over the next 30 years? I would think so. But when I look at today, I see large companies down three and a half percent, small companies down 20%. What gives here? If small companies do better than large companies on average, Why are large companies beating small companies? I mean, can I time this stuff? Being large now and small later and switch it around? Well, my friend, that is the danger of market timing. I mean, so many people think about market timing as getting in and out of the market. And that for us, I think listening to this podcast right now is something we don't do a lot of. At least I hope you don't or go back to a lot of my episodes and listen. Market timing is dangerous. It doesn't work in the long run because the research shows us that nobody can do it on a consistent basis. But the same thing happens when you start switching your investments around, buying this company or that company or this mutual fund, dropping it because it's not doing well, buying a different one, getting into the U.S. now, international later, large companies now, small companies later. That is market timing too. And we as family stewards have to stop because here's the deal. 
Small companies, on average, beat large companies by 2%, but we don't know when it's going to hit. I told you already, large companies up 20% this quarter. Small companies are up 30% this quarter. They just had a much bigger drop, and so they got a lot more recovery to do. But that all goes back to the risk that I talked about earlier. If you're going to get on average 2% better return per year, well, then you got to put up with the bigger stomachache. You got to put up with some really bad times sometimes. That's why you should never put all of your money in small companies because if you did that and next year small companies go down 70%, well, you're going to make some emotional decision and you're going to sell and you're going to get out of small companies forever. You cannot time this stuff. Small companies beat large companies on average by a flip of a coin, a little over 50% of the time. But research shows the longer we hold small companies, the better chance that we have that they outperform large companies and get closer to that overall historic 2% premium in the market. And here's one last thing I'm going to leave you with. Large companies have done awesome in the last 10 years, especially in the last five years. They have outperformed their 10% average by a ton. Small companies, on the other hand, they've outperformed their average too, but not near as much as large companies. So if you owned all large companies on average the last five years, you would be doing better than small companies. But again, we cannot time this stuff because when we look through history, we see plenty of five-year and even 10-year periods where large beats small. But if we can hold for a long period of time and practice discipline, guess what? Without guaranteeing, According to the science, we have a much higher probability of seeing a much higher expected return for our retirement and our financial freedom. So here's the first thing I don't want you to do after listening to this podcast. Don't just jump into small companies without a plan. You should never have your whole portfolio in small companies. You need to know what your risk capacity is. You need to know what your risk tolerance is. You need to know what your required rate of return is before you jump in and do anything. You need to know what your goals are before you develop your investment plan, which should be written out in an an investment policy statement. All of this needs to be done before you start switching a portfolio around. I mean, all these returns, they look great that I've talked about, but we do not want you to make some emotional response and get out of small companies right after getting in because they had a bad month or bad quarter. Now, If you're working with a good, solid, independent, fee-only, certified financial planner that can help you with this stuff, great. Otherwise, please go to Best in Wealth. Go to the front page. 
go to the little tab that says work with us and schedule a quick 15-minute call. I will take your risk analysis for you and we can have a deeper, bigger, stronger conversation about all of your investments and how much of a tilt you should have in this small company arena and how that money, once you're in the small companies, how it's invested. Because if you're in the wrong mutual funds or you're in the wrong companies, it doesn't matter. You're never going to reach the premium in the first place. That's why having a good solid plan that is all directed by some of the science that I just gave you is ultimately all in your best interest. I hope this podcast was helpful. I hope that you work with somebody that's going to help you get through all of this stuff. But I got to go for now. And I will see you when. I'll see you on the flip side. Bye-bye, everyone. The Best in Wealth Podcast is hosted by Scott Wellens. Scott Wellens is the principal at Fortress Planning Group. Fortress Planning Group is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities Act of Wisconsin in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Fortress Planning Group does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Best in Wealth Podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.